So we are in part 16 of our Being Jesus series, and I entitled today's message, A Rising Morning Star. And I just want to begin with some thoughts. Uh, one of the whole reasons why we exist is to magnify and glorify God and make Him famous. Now, if that is the case... Are we doing that? And if not, why? And there could be a variety of reasons why we are not sharing him. Why are we not conveying him to our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, schoolmates? There's a reason why we are not, and we have talked about this many, many times in the past, but why don't all your friends know about your relationship with Jesus? Why do they not, why do all your co-workers not know that you are a believer? Is it because is it because that you don't truly believe that it is the right way? Is it because you are still unconvinced? Is it because there's still so much doubt in your mind you would never want to shovel off on someone else something you're not sure of yourself? Or is it a matter of there's nothing really going on? Uh, the Christianity that you live is boring enough that you have not lived in risk or walking with Jesus and so there's really nothing much to share I, I kind of looked at it this way. If you think of Christianity as the best way to die, meaning I got to have my ticket to heaven, better have this before you leave, then you're only going to share it with people in dire circumstance, right? And, and usually you can tell that when you have someone in your life that uh, is at a critical point where they're about to pass away and you go into panic mode, which is, oh, I hope I can get to them and share the gospel before they pass away. That you can, that's usually your, your, your tell. If you believe that Christianity is the best way to live, you'll tell them now. There's a big difference. It's not, we got to get it so we can get to the good place. It's the good place is now right here. Because you're with Jesus. The idea of eternal life, remember, it begins at the moment of conversion, not at the moment of death. So eternal life is connected with God, and I could not imagine going through what I've gone through recently without Jesus. How do I go through difficulty without knowing that prayer matters? How do I go through difficulty without knowing that I have a support system in all the people that I love, and they're praying for me? How do I go through that without being able to call out to the one who manages all of reality? I don't want to go through life like that, and I don't want my neighbors to go through life like that. I don't want my coworkers to hurt. I want them to be able to have that same thing going on within them. I want them to be able to have access to Jesus right here, right now. And I think that that is kind of the call of Christianity. So we have to say, are we making Jesus famous? Are we letting everyone know that he is indeed who he says he is. Are we letting everyone know that we have been changed and they can be changed? In the same way, are people attracted to you? The definition of discipleship is duplicating the master. Jesus attracted people in mass to him. That's kind of the message that we're going to be talking about today. Jesus was highly attractional. Why is our life not as attractional as Christ? If we're duplicating him, why are we always the ones that have to bring up the conversation of Jesus? Why aren't other people bringing it up? Why aren't they starting a conversation with something like this? Man, I don't know what's going on with you, but man, your life always blows up. Something's always wrong with you. But there's something about the fact 
that you always have this settledness, like you're going to, you're, you know, you have some plan, like you're going to go to somebody. It always seems like even though bad things keep coming into your world, you have a different way of handling them. And I want to know what's going on with you. How come they're not starting the conversation? How come we feel like we have been undercover and we have to come find some awkward way to start that conversation? We should be attractional that if they're hurting, they run and say, Hey, I think you maybe have the answer. And you're going to go, well, I don't have the answer, but I know the one that does. Why are they not drawn to us? And, and the purpose of all of this is the fill in the blank. If you have one of those sheets in front of you, it's this extraordinary lives, draw attention, extraordinary lives, draw attention. Because people are craving, people are needy, people want to know, just even sheer curiosity, they want to know what's going on. So, Jesus drew attention, are you drawing attention? I'm not saying be flashy, I'm not saying shove things down people's throats, I'm not saying any of that stuff. What I'm saying is, you should be a hub for everyone to recognize, if I need love, I can find it there. I think that we should be the ones where all of our neighbors, when they go into chaos, they would say, I need to have that person talk to me or pray for me or whatever. Uh, Here's another way to look at it. Jesus drew people to him sometimes negatively, right? So my question also is, how come you're not causing more agitation in the world? Why don't people hate you more? Uh, They hated Jesus. How come they don't hate you? Why is the world so completely cool with you? Uh, and, and I'm not saying that you should be in agitation in a bad way. I'm saying that you're communicating to the world, hey, your viewpoint says that money's going to solve your problems. I don't agree with that. I think that there's a matter of relationship with God, and so I'm going to have issue with that. And so I'm going to tell you a different way. Why aren't we irritating people with the idea that they're going to go, oh man, here comes the Christian again. He's going to be like, can I pray for you? I don't want to talk about that. No, I don't want you to pray for me. It's freaking me out, right? Why are we not more those people that are rubbing up against the world and and the world's going, man, okay, stop. I get it. You're lovey, 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 whatever, right? Grow up or whatever. Why aren't we rubbing against the world in an agitating way? Because if indeed the world is antithesis to Christ, then there should be some type of conflict. I don't like the conflict that's occurring. I would like different types of conflict to occur, if that makes any sense. So let's recap what happened last week. Last week, I was never designed to be here. I was supposed to be at Boss, based out of South Sacramento. And because of what I was going through, I was not able to teach there, which was a bummer. But we had planned here, Pastor Matt Bach of our high school ministry, to come in here and teach you through the passages that talk about Jesus' authority. So he told you two stories. One of the stories was that there was a child that was hurting somewhere else. And with a word, Jesus proclaimed him to be healed. That is that he did not have to touch him. He did not have to do something special over him. He said the word, boom, that's it. That's what happens when you have all authority. So Jesus has all authority. What he says is the case. As a matter of fact, I heard a teaching recently, I'll remind you, that if Jesus can heal with a thought, then anything else that he does is another layer to the story, right? He doesn't need to put mud on someone's eyes in order for them to see. So if he does that, he's doing something different. If he uh, maybe touches a leper, there's another layer to the story because he doesn't need to do that. 
we know that from stories where he just commands from a distance, that's all he needs to do. So anything else, there's a whole other layer to the story. Well, that one particular story, and it can be taught a bunch of different ways. When I look at that story, I also see something else unusual. I personally see progressive healing. And what I mean by that is there's phrases that say, when did his fever break? When did he begin to recover? That means usually you hear the instantaneously, immediately, and he was all good. That's one of the stories in scripture where he began to get better. There was a recovery process because a lot of times we go, well, God only heals like this. Hold up. You don't know all the ways that God heals. And sometimes God's going to go, listen, I'm going to have you walk out of this in a, a certain way so that you know more about me. If I do the instantaneous, I'm not going to quite get the, what I want out of this. The other story he told you was about um, a demon possessed man in the synagogue, a demon possessed man in their church. And you kind of go, if you were a demon, would you really hang out in church? I'd be like, no way, man. I'd hang out somewhere else. Right. Uh, I won't tell you where I would hang out, but anyway, I would, I, I certainly would not be in church, but in church he gets called out and you know, and it's screaming out, you're the son of God and all that stuff. And Jesus just shuts the process down. No, no, no. I have authority in the supernatural. I have authority in the natural. I have authority over the wind and the waves. I have the authority over everything. I have the authority to multiply food. I have the authority to stop demons. I have the authority. You see what I mean? That's the authority of Jesus. And we need to kind of bake that into our soul. Jesus is in control. He's on the throne. He's the master. He's the one that runs everything. And so therefore, as we are under his covering, that is a critical bodyguard. You know what I'm saying? So the, let's allow some peace to come into our life. So right here, we begin to see Jesus becoming more and more and more famous. And so we must always balance as believers, attraction and going and telling. We are to be a light on a hill where people can come when they have need. And we are also to go out into their community and be missional, to be able to go meet them where they're at, get on their turf, speak their language, walk in their pain, listen to their story. It's not enough to just go, well, I'm living out loud. And if they want something, they can come get me. It's sometimes there is the, I need to go get you. Sometimes Jesus had everyone come to him. And sometimes he leaves the 99 and goes after the one, you know what I mean? So therefore our lives are to duplicate that in the master. And sometimes we need to go get our neighbor. And sometimes we just need to be a light. So our neighbor can come get us. Either way, we are here for them. We are here to be able to demonstrate Christ and reach the world. You're going to see Jesus do that massively right here, right now. Why don't we go ahead and throw up the scripture on the screen? Let me see if I can't break some of this down. You will see we are blending together some of the gospels. And in particular, we're going to be talking through Matthew and Mark in this one. Matthew's in orange, Mark is in green. So let me just share some thoughts. There's two passages that blend together here. It says, and he, meaning Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, that's the northern portion of Israel, teaching in their synagogues. Teaching means he's helping them understand. There's a difference between teaching and preaching. Teaching is explaining, saying, here's how all the parts work together. Whenever you hear me slow down, break it apart, that is teaching. I'm a teacher preacher. So I try to instruct you through it so that you might have understanding and know the whys behind it. Therefore, you can go out and share that yourself. If I merely preach, you can be impressed by it. You can be transformed by it, but you do not always know the why. So teaching allows you to know why. He went around teaching 
in a general area, in the area of Galilee, we have about 200 villages. We have about 300,000 people. Jesus was moving around teaching in their synagogues. Why the synagogues? Because we cannot divorce the fact that Jesus is a Jew, the king of the Jews, talking to the Jews first. If we make him all American, you missed the context. Jesus is a Jew. The Messiah came to the Jewish people and began to move through the world through the Jewish people. Where do you begin? You begin in the place that is the center of their culture. That is the synagogue in a place where they're already prepped to hear new information. So Jesus did the normal channels and went to the synagogues and taught them. But he also, it says, he also came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, proclaiming is the preaching. I'm just telling you what is. That's proclaiming. I'm not going to sit there and explain all the reasons why. I'm just going to tell you the facts of reality. I'm going to say it in a motivational way. I'm going to say it in a powerful way. But I'm basically not trying to lead you through it. I'm just telling you as it is. So he, pre, he proclaimed what? He preached what? It says the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. Well, that's interesting. We look at that and we go, that's awfully Christian-y, right? I mean, that's a, that's a fancy way of saying it. No, in that day, that was the basic way to say it. Here's why. What kingdom was running Israel at the time? Rome. So if you were to get a newspaper from Rome, it would say, here's the gospel of the kingdom. Gospel means here's the new changes that are going on within our kingdom. Jesus said, I'm going to use the same phrase, but I'm not talking about Rome. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. So here are the changes I'm bringing about. Here's the good stuff. Here's the good news. Here's the great things that are occurring within our kingdom, the kingdom of God. And they all would go, oh, okay, I get that. That's normal language. He was proclaiming what was great and what was new and what was fresh in the kingdom of God. But he also had a third part to his ministry. It says, and he was healing every type of disease, every affliction among the people. There are many teachers that go, you know, the healing part of Jesus and the miraculous part of Jesus was a very small amount. I don't know what they're smoking, but I just, I don't see it. I'm just going, man, it is everywhere. It is a big piece of his ministry. As a matter of fact, when he talked to John the Baptist to let him know about his ministry, he said, tell him what you see. And what he saw was the healing, miraculous ministry of Jesus. That was the key thing that he went, man, there's something going on here. So yeah, it's a big deal. And there's a reason why it's a big deal. Let's see if we can't break this down a little bit. It says, and he was healing every disease. Now, does that mean he healed the sniffles and he was taking care of all the little issues? No, it means every type of the reason why this matters is there's nothing that befalls you that Jesus can't fix. Every means every type. So we kind of go, well, this one's a big one. This one's a bad one. This one's an unusual one. This one is a weird one. I don't care what it is. It is under the authority of Jesus. So when he says he would like to change it, he has all authority and power to change it. The only question is the will of God. That's it. And so we need to know that whatever you're going through, 
he already has victory over that area. That's pretty awesome. So what does he have victory over? What are the things that he's fixing? It says healing every disease. Now that's the normal word for disease. And when you think of sickness and right infirmity, that's what we're talking about. But he has more stuff that he's touching and every affliction. Now this is a weird word. What do you mean by affliction? The word in Greek means any debility or weakness in you. Now that's a different word. The reason why I highlight that is we always think that Jesus is only interested in the big stuff like cancer, right? Oh, I don't really have cancer. I have relationship issues and I got a weakness here. I got something's debilitating or this is a place where I'm weak in my, does Jesus still care about that? Yeah, he does. We keep saying it's got to be a big one. Well, if it's not lung disease, if it's not paralysis, if it's not blindness, then Jesus doesn't care. He only handles big stuff because he's really busy, right? That is not correct. Debilitating or weakness or softness, meaning if there's something that is a wound or open to attack, Jesus cares about that too. All right, that's pretty neat. And then it says he was healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Quick question. Why did Jesus do miracles? Why did he heal? This is critical because there's a lot of debate out there on why he did that. Some people say it was because he was demonstrating that he was the Messiah. I would say, I agree with you. That's part of it, but that is not the major reason. The major reason in my biblical assessment is it was demonstration and proof of the presence of the kingdom of God. That's different. Here's why. What he is saying is that wherever he's at, the rule of God is, and things are different under the rule of God than under the broken world. Does that make sense? Let me make it a little bit even more basic. Y'all know the Lord's prayer, simple prayer, right? Our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. A kingdom come, I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right? We all know this. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. When we say that simple prayer, you just demonstrated this. Let it be here on earth as it is in heaven. What is it like in heaven? Well, it's not messed up. In heaven... It is solid. It is good. In Revelation, we know where we're headed. What does he say? There are no more tears. There's no more pain. There's no more paralysis. There's no more woundedness. There is no more sorrow. There's no more baggage of the past. There's no more, right? This is what heaven is like. So when you pray the Lord's prayer, you're saying, I want that quality of life to occur right here, right now. You just said this. So Jesus was giving you a taste of that, saying, this is how it is in my world. When I'm on the throne, I'm going to demonstrate that proof that I am in your midst. Therefore, you are healed, you are healed, you are healed, you are healed. You are sound, you are honest, you are good, you are put back together, you are fixed. And he would go through, and it was demonstration of the kingdom of God. Man, this is how God wants it right here, right now. That's why he did the miracles. It was a proof of the presence of the kingdom of God. Now you got to lock that one in because that has actually a lot of ramifications to it. All right, we keep moving. So his fame spread through all Syria. That's a Gentile area north of Israel. 
Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, to the edge of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And great crowds followed him from the area of Galilee and from the Decapolis, which is a 10 city area that was very Greek like. And people crowded from Judea, South Israel, Jerusalem, the holy capital in the south, from Idumea, ancient Edom, from Esau, but now largely Jewish. From beyond the Jordan on the east side or the right side of the river on a map, which was mixed Jew and Gentile, and people crowded from around Tyre and Sidon. That is the Phoenician peoples on the edge of the shore, Gentile. What's the point? This is disruptive to a Jew. That's the point of the passage. Gentiles are coming. And they're coming from all over the place. It's a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. Well, how does that sit with the Jews? Not good. This is our Messiah, dude. Back off. This is our guy. We get the benefits of the kingdom. We get the healing. I don't want to wait in line between, behind 13 Gentiles to get to Jesus. You guys get away. He's ours. And Jesus said, stop it. Stop saying you have the corner market on me. When I bring kingdom blessing, when I bring wholeness, I'm bringing it to the world. I'm not just bringing it to you. I have my heart and compassion for all my children. Therefore, stop trying to hog me, right? And so he's saying, I'm here for the world. Let's get everybody in on it because I want to touch them all. Now that's agitating to a lot of the Jewish people, but they continue on. It says this, when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, preaching, teaching, healing miracles, they came to him. Is that wise? Indeed. It is a fool that knows that Jesus is outside but stays inside. You understand what I'm saying? What's the point? You got to be where Jesus is. I'm not going to be offended if Jesus shows up in the lobby and you guys walk away from me. (laughs) The best place to be is next to Jesus. You be near Jesus wherever Jesus is. Yes? It is not a matter. Yeah. Amen. We need to be near Christ. And so if he's across the street, you go across the street in the sense of John the Baptist said, there's the lamb of God. The guy said "Then I'm going over here, right? The idea is you be near Jesus because if we are connected to the branch, then our vine produces fruit. If we're disconnected from the branch, we can't do anything. So our life goal is to be near Jesus at all times. What does that mean? It means you don't let the world disciple you. You allow Jesus to disciple you. You don't just constantly say, I'll get to that church stuff. You live as church stuff. You know what I mean? That's the idea of being connected. So sure enough, they knew there was someone that could heal them and touch them and they went to be near him. That's awesome. That's the right thing to do. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. That's a crowd. There's no point that I've ever said to my assistant, Joanne, seriously, let's put a cyclone fence right here. They're going to rush me at any time. I mean, I'm going to be crushed here, right? There's none of that, okay? We don't have, I mean, we have a lot of people here, but Jesus had aggro crowds, aggressive crowds. Why? Because if my little daughter is dying and you can fix it, I'm going to be a bit more aggressive than I would be on what? The, the, the Black Friday shopping or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? I will push you out of the way 
because you have a hangnail and my daughter's dying. So I'm going to go in and I'm going to get near you. That type of aggressiveness and big crowds was really changing things. And so people wanted to be near Jesus. Take a look at why it says, for he had healed a lot so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Check out this word for diseases. It's different than the last one. This word means this, a plague, scourging, calamity, discipline, punishment, or divine trial. You ever had any of that? Have you ever had the sense that something's against you outside of yourself? That's this word. It means something's beating you up. Does Jesus care about that? He does. And they knew that the solution to being beat up is to be near Jesus. Now, sometimes the problem is divine punishment. Even then you go and you're trying to square it away with Jesus so that that even will be taken away, right? That's this word here. So that all who were being beat up pressed around him to touch him. Why do they got to touch him? They don't know anything about the whole he can heal from a distance. They're rub the magic lamp guy, right? You got to go get some of that mojo on you. You got to go run and touch him. So everybody's trying to glamour and touch magic man. Okay, let me, let me just say this. That lifestyle is really hard. And, and here's why. We, we don't picture Jesus's life very accurately. Because here's the deal. Your son just got hit by a car and he is in intensive care, but it's 3 a.m. Are you going to go bother Jesus or just wait till the morning? You're going to go bother him all the time. How many people want to get to Jesus? All of them. How much are they going to keep disrupting him all the time? So this lifestyle is very challenging, very hard. It's hard to put up boundaries. You're going to see Jesus keep putting up boundaries and backing up because there's always need out there, right? So it says this, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted. What's afflicted mean? Check this word out. To squish, compress, crush, imprison, or constrain. Have you ever felt imprisoned? Have you ever felt restrained, crushed? That's this word. So that they brought him all the sick, those who feel pressed in and crushed by life, those with various diseases, that's the normal word, and those with pains. That word in Greek, an instrument of torture, sharp pains, disease pains, the pains of hell. Ever had any of those? Yeah, yeah, I bet you have. That too is in here. Those oppressed by demons. I don't care whether that's from the outside or inside. Demons are causing havoc on the people. They came. Epileptics who had seizures. Paralytics who couldn't walk. And he healed them. Now what's powerful about that healing is that we think of it as the normal definition. Heal, cure, restore. But do you know what the first definition of that word is? To serve. And to help. Jesus goes into servant mindset and he sees all this pain, shuts down his world and goes, how can I help you? 
and he's here to serve and love on and play the role of a servant and put the towel over his arm and wash the disciples' feet and make sure that he cares about their needs. We always wonder if God cares. God doesn't care about the little stuff. God doesn't care about this problem or this pain. And everything. Yes, he does. If it matters to you, it matters to him. Guess what? Even if it doesn't matter to you, it matters to him. And so he goes into that operation mode of how can I help you, my child? What do you need? As a father with my girls, I am anticipating need and I'm even trying to bring them an awareness to a need they don't even know about, right? That's what good daddies do. They keep an eye out and they say, babe, I noticed that you're limping. You okay? Yeah, it's no big deal. I noticed I'm the dad. You notice you're the mom, right? I mean, that's kind of how it goes. That's how God looks at us. And he goes, hey, I noticed that you got a limp there. You okay? No, that's nothing. Well, I think it's something. Why are you limping? Should we need, do we need to address that? Well, I don't know. Uh, yeah, there's probably bigger things that are a problem. I'm sure there are. Do you want me to touch that? Uh, it's not like my calendar is so full I can't get to that today. I'd like to get to that right now. God is more interested in your wholeness than you are says this, whenever the unclean spirits saw him and they would take a look at him and know who he was and uh uh-oh, something's going bad, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Is that accurate? Is he the son of God? Yeah. As a matter of fact, check this out. Here was the story from last week. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out in a loud voice, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. Were they right? Yes. Then what's the problem? Isn't the whole idea that Jesus is the Messiah? Don't we want people to know that Jesus is the son of God? Yeah, we do. As a matter of fact, They seem to be way more accurate than anybody else. So the demons are calling it as they see it. Why is Jesus shutting them down? Why don't you want demon PR guys? There's a couple reasons. First reason is this education before proclamation. What do I mean? If they drop a bomb and say that's the Messiah, everybody's preconceived ideas go into play. And he didn't get to educate what type of Messiah he was. So everyone will start going, let's lead a revolution. Let's start killing Rome. And he's like, whoa, whoa, hold up. I'm not that kind of Messiah. Here's the problem. There's a lot of things that I would love to display to you as a church and proclaim, but I have to educate you in them before I proclaim them because you go off on your bias. You keep going, oh, I know what you mean. No, you don't know what I mean. You have no idea what I'm talking about. So I have to walk you through it and help you understand so that we're redefining our terms. Jesus had to do the exact same thing is that he didn't want the demons going, Hey, I know it. And they're trying to run and jump to the end. Second reason that's the father's timing, not the demons timing, whatever the father wants to do. And when he wants to reveal him, he's not going to reveal him through a demon. So he's going demon, you guys shut it for now. I don't need your help. My father has this one orchestrated. Don't you dare hijack the plan. And then the third reason is we can be sure of this. The intention is evil. They're not like, hey, how could we evangelize, right? The demons are not like, how could we make our lives more miserable? That's not their goal. So whatever they were doing, I don't care how accurate it was. It was a bad reason. And they had some type of evil intention in mind or they wouldn't have said anything. 
So Jesus shuts that down. And you go, what type of evil intention could be from sharing the truth? Well, one of my favorite demon casting stories. Do you have a favorite demon casting story? You got to have one for parties. One of my favorite demon casting stories is this one. It's Paul and his crew in Philippi. It says, Luke is writing this. It's in Acts 16. He said, and as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had the spirit, that's a demon, of divination. And she brought her owners much gain by fortune telling, right? So the demons would know what was up. They'd read kind of the, the newspapers and they'd figure out what was going on. And then they would tell her and then she would proclaim it. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, is that right? Absolutely accurate. Uh, this is my, this is great. And this she kept doing for many days. Favorite line ever is right here. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, <laughs> turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. So here's the funny thing. They're walking along and she's like, these are servants of the most high God. He's like, oh, that girl's voice is killing me. It's like, shut up. You're just, I mean, it's, you're always just like, servants of the most high God, servants of the most high God. And all the guys are like, dude, do something about this. And it's funny because he doesn't cast out the demons until he gets annoyed. He knew there was demons there and he just rolls with it for a couple days. And he's just like, ah, there's another demon girl, you know? And then finally he's just irritated enough to be like, you know what? Okay, we're done with this. You get out, right? Just a whole weird story. Let that one sit in your spirit for a while. (laughs) Turn with me to Luke chapter 17. This is where we're going to turn in your Bibles. Luke chapter 17 will not be on the screen for you. Page 876, if you're using one of the Bibles in our sanctuaries. Luke 17, 11. Page 876. Jesus' popularity really got word out. We're going to read a story of 10 lepers coming and finding him. How did the lepers know? They're outcasts in society. Because hurting people have a way of hearing about where help is. You know what I mean? So, of course, they picked up on it. It went like wildfire throughout all the regions. And his popularity drew people from all over, even people that weren't allowed to come near him. But watch how he handles this, because the attractiveness of his life will lead to the healing of many. Watch this. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. That's just two areas in Israel. As he entered the village... He was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. All right. So what is leprosy? Leprosy in the Old Testament is different than leprosy of what we know it to be. Leprosy that we know it to be was probably included in it, maybe, but it was actually a large category to talk about skin conditions. Our leprosy that we're familiar with is actually a disease you can contract that in essence ruins your nervous system and you don't have any nerves to feel anything, any pain. Now that's going to be a problem. You go, well, that would be awesome not to have any pain. No, it's actually not. Have you ever gone to the dentist and then chewed on your lip because it was numb? All right. That's what happens when you don't have any sensation. All the alarms in your body shut off. So if you're leaning against the hot stove, you have no idea. It will just burn right through your hand. If you break your leg, you'll keep walking on it because you have no idea that you have a broken leg. If you have an infection in your body in any way, you don't know you have an infection because there's no pain. 
So what it ends up doing is inviting all types of disease and things to wreck a system until basically your body falls apart. That's the leprosy that we know. There are things like leper colonies. They would cast them out and put them by themselves because they didn't want other people to contract it. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, leprosy is different. The signs of leprosy were skin problems, skin diseases, skin irritations. Literally, if there were spots on the skin or something would erupt like a boil, anything that you had on your skin, you had to go get checked out by the priest because he was the only one that could tell you you were clean. Now, the big drag about this, in my mind, is that they called it all leprosy, right? And so sure enough, if you go into the priest and you're like, I'm having a little eczema, he's like, to the leper colony, you know? And you're like, all I need is a cream, right? I don't, I don't, ah! And you just get thrown into the leper colony and you're like, great, now I have leprosy. That was awesome. They would have all kinds of quarantine for seven days and seven more days and they're checking it all out. But they were also watching for spots on your clothes, spots on the leather, spots on the walls of your home. That's like mildew and mold and stuff like that. They were watching and they just burn it down. Because infectious diseases at that time, they did not have a good way to contain them. So God steps in and just clears it out. So what these guys had, we don't know. What we do know is that if you are branded as a skin disease, you are an outcast in society. You cannot live with us. You cannot live in town. You have to go be by yourself. And it's more, even though there's probably lots of pain that they lived with, the worst is being cut away from all other human contact. So they would hang out together, and it's kind of like, dude, my arm's falling off. How are you doing? The other guy's like, I don't even have a nose, so uh, we're good. They would band together, and that's what happened here. We have 10 lepers. Why did they talk from a distance? Because the rules were, and you can read about all the creepy stuff about leprosy in Leviticus 13 and 14. They actually have two full chapters to talk about how to deal with it. Lepers, one historian wrote... If you're upwind from people, you got to be 50 yards out. So you got to cover your mouth and you got to shout, I'm unclean so that nobody else rubs against you, gets near you. They become unclean. So you can never go to church. You're always unclean the entire life. You're diseased. Nobody wants to be around you. These guys banded together and they knew their only solution was Jesus Christ. So this is what they said. Would you have mercy on us? When he saw them, Jesus said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Pause right there. Go and show yourself to the priests. Why in the world would I do that? I have leprosy. They're the ones that sent me away. There's no way in the world I'm going to go talk to priests while I have leprosy. While they're talking to Jesus, they still have leprosy. Hey, go show yourself to the priest. No, I'm not doing that. Because that's humiliating. That's embarrassing. I don't want to be rejected again. I'm already having rejection issues of my own. Go show yourself to the priest. Look at what happens next. And as they went, they were cleansed. They were not cleansed first. They were cleansed as they went. What is this? This is a demand for faith. Why is faith necessary? What is faith? Faith is believing that what God says is legit. For example, the whole reason you're here on a Sunday, if you're here on your own volition, your parents didn't drag you, your spouse didn't drag you, your friends didn't drag you. If you are here on your own volition, you have just exercised faith because why in the world would you get up on a beautiful day like this and go sit inside to listen to something you don't believe in? You have already exercised faith. You believe that it's legit to some degree. Therefore, 
he demanded to say, listen, I need you to know that I'm who I say I am. So I'm not just going to fix you and make your life easier. And then you just ignore me. Do you trust me or do you not trust me? He demanded that. And only as they went at his word, were they then healed? That demand of faith is very critical. And it's something that happens a lot in scripture. We got to wonder how does that play in our lives, right? We always want God to fix everything. You prove yourself first, then I'll go do it. But in the Bible, he'll say to Abraham, leave everything and go to a place that I'll tell you later. Well, that's not awesome. Give me a map. Show me how it's going to work out. Tell me what's there and then I'll go. No, you'll do it because I told you. And then something will be revealed. That's a whole different ballgame. Here's the other thing that's interesting. He healed 10 at a time. There's no indicator that he went one by one and said, okay, you guys line up tallest to shortest. We'll heal you first, then heal you, then heal you. He just said, guys, you're good. Go ahead. That was it, with a word. Let me just ask you a question. Can God heal us all in this room instantaneously? Absolutely. All he has to do is say, Bridgeway, you're good. Walk away, be healed. That's intense. Because here's the problem. A lot of us keep going, well, well, I got to do this, I got to do it. God can do what God wants to do. All right? And therefore, if he proclaims us healed, then we are healed. That's how it goes. He knows how to work with that. It says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus's feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. What? No way. I thought they were all Jews. That's why I told him to go to the priests. Nope. One of them was a Samaritan. He turns back, sees, wait a second. I don't have leprosy anymore. And goes back and hangs with Jesus and gives him thanks. By the way, that phrase giving thanks to him is only used of God in scripture. He knows who he's going to. He knows who he's falling down before. He knows that Jesus is God. Then Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? What was his point? That's embarrassing, Jews. I'm your Messiah. And I got foreigner boys showing back up. Where are you guys? I'm the one here to cleanse you and you don't even recognize who I am. And I got all these other guys and they're like, oh, you're the Messiah. Yeah, I know. But my own people don't know. And they're still going. Why did the other guys keep going? Well, I don't know. Let me ask you this quick question. Let's say you were paralyzed, right? Right here, right now, quadriplegic, you're paralyzed. And I lay my hands on you and I heal you and you get up and you take off running. Where are you going to go next? What's the first thing you're going to do? I don't know. You're probably going to go see family. You're going to go do something that's that you've never been able to do before. You're probably not just going to hang out and go, okay, let's just have a worship service now. Unless you recognize who just healed you. And it wasn't me. You know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, everything changes. I know why the other nine guys kept going because they were so excited about their healing. They got what they wanted, but they didn't get all that they needed. Check this out. It says, and he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. It says your faith has made you well. It's the same word for salvation. It's sozo in Greek. Your faith has saved you. All 10 were cleansed of leprosy. One was saved. What's the deeper need? Salvation. We always go to God with our physical needs or our physical demands or our temporary circumstantial issues. And we go, God, if you'll only fix this, I'll be good. And he says, you don't understand. 
There's all kinds of problems in this world. If I fix that one, another one can easily pop up. That's not the point. Your physical healing is not the biggest deal about you. All of them left with no leprosy. One of them received a changed heart. That man right there knew that the minute he connected with God, there's nowhere else to be. Where else am I going to go? I want to be more and more with Jesus because he's the only one that matters. And you knew he wanted to find out more so he could tell more. He was already bent on the idea of going out and telling everybody, I once was like this and now I'm like that. Our job in this world is to make Jesus famous. Our job is to tell the story of what we once were. Our job is to say what we are now and what we will be one day. Our job is to say that we cannot solve the problem, but we know the one that can. Our job is to demonstrate to the world that Jesus matters, that Jesus works, that Jesus is good and great and awesome. So therefore, we are both the salt and light of the world, and we are also the ones that go out and tell everyone what Jesus is like. So I would ask you this, have you been healed of anything? Have you been healed of your sin? Have you been healed of your pain? Have you been healed of your past? Have you been healed of a physical ailment? Have you been healed of an emotional need? If so, get out there and tell someone what Jesus did for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in glory to glorify you, that God, we are shining because we are representatives of your glory. We have been touched, Lord, that's why we're here. We want to be touched, that's why we're here. So God, as you have demonstrated yourself mighty, I just pray, Lord, that you'd give us the words to say, that we would open our mouth and we would begin to tell everybody what is great about you, that Lord Jesus, our neighbors need you, our coworkers need you, everyone around us needs you. So Lord, allow us to have our eyes open allow us to walk with you in such an exciting way we can't even keep our mouths shut father quicken our hearts and allow us to know that you are intimately involved with us that you love us that you are near us and wherever your kingdom is there is freedom be glorified jesus in our lives and in our church in jesus name we pray amen